would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, here we have the word finally again. We laughed about it a couple of weeks ago. But in this case, Paul is reaching the last point of how to have spiritual stability. The principle that he is about to relate is both a recap of the others we've covered in the last few weeks and the key to bringing them together. The phrase he uses here, think about these things, introduces an important truth. Now this is not thinking about how to do something, how to solve a problem, how to work through something to accomplish a task. It's not even thinking of, and how to gain knowledge just for knowledge's sake. This is the process of inviting a thought into your mind, a perspective, an understanding, inviting it into your mind for the purpose of changing you, of growing you, of maturing you. You can think about practically how to build a house. You think about a budget. You think about a location. You think about a floor plan. You think about someone to build it. You make all of the detailed decisions. Then you buy furniture and you move into the house. That's a task. It's a process. Had a beginning, had an end, had a completion. The thinking about that Paul is talking about today is not that process. It's not a figuring out how to do something. It's learning about a standard and then allowing the reality of that standard to change you, to make you into something. In this case, to make you into the very image of Christ. That is a process. It is also a command. You say, but Kevin, I'm not a thinker. I'm not an intellectual person. I'm not a reader. I can't concentrate on lectures very well. I challenge you this morning. I exhort you this morning. Do not let this intimidate you. Don't let it be an excuse. If God commands you to do something, then you have everything you need to accomplish it. If God commands us to think, then we have everything we need to think. On the other hand, Thinking is not something that we do flippantly. It means to evaluate, to consider, or to calculate. Believers are to consider the qualities that Paul lists in verse 8 and meditate on what they mean. To think about implies intensity. The Greek word here has a heavy implication of intensity. It is not casual. There's a computer term, it's the title of the sermon today, 
garbage in, garbage out. I mentioned in the call to worship this morning that my former career was as a computer programmer. I enjoyed that. You put information in the computer, you told it all the if, thens, this, that, whatever happened, then do this. And it, it was enjoyable, it was logical, it was a process. But a computer's output is only as good as the information put into it. And just as a computer's output is only as good as the information that is put into it, so are people's actions a result of what they put in their minds. I mentioned artificial intelligence in the opening this morning also. All of this big hullabaloo about artificial intelligence and how it's so smart. Those computers can only process what they are given. They have a subset of data. They have the ability to search vast amounts of data and take what they've been told and search that data and output something. They do not have a soul. They cannot create an original thought. Everything they come up with is based on data. And just as a side note, that is a scary thing because whoever controls that data controls that computer. Understand, when you receive salvation, we get a new heart. But we still have to deal with our flesh. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. While God guards our hearts, as we learned last week, we are also commanded to focus our minds on things that please God. And at the same time, we are commanded to live according to God's ways. He does the work, yet gives us work to do. Believers are called to trust in the Lord, yet also to serve the Lord. Paul set a beautiful example for how to do both. He was faithful in prayer, yet gave every bit of his life to serve the Lord. The focus in the world today is on emotion. The question of how do you feel? And as a result, there is a lot of unrest. Who cares what anybody else thinks? How do you feel? That's the way we're taught to process life. We are not supposed, in the world's eyes, are not supposed to challenge people's thinking. That's harmful. That's unloving. That's cruel. In the world's thinking, that's not true. But in the world's thinking, that is cruel and unloving. We are just supposed to accept everybody's reality and all be one big happy family. But that's not really what they're saying. They're saying we're supposed to accept their reality and dump ours. From the worldly perspective, truth is whatever produces positive emotions. We are not supposed to say that there is one truth. Because to say that there is one truth means that it is God's truth. And the world does not want to hear that. The world says that everyone can have their own truth. And as I alluded to, as I said, we can all be one happy family, but we can't. That's obvious in the world today. All of these different truths scattered around, what do they do? It leads to division and chaos. When you have all of these truths out there, one person's truth, my truth, whatever I see is truth, that will bring happiness to me. Not joy, but happiness to me. 
but it could most likely and most probably bring deep sadness to someone else. When I'm hanging on to something selfishly to make me happy, it's going to make someone else sad most of the time. In the world today, we have schools of thought. I'm currently going through an economics class with the girls, and there's all these schools of thought in economics and different ideas of how, to, how an economy should function to be healthy. We have educational schools of thought, how to teach. We have schools of thought in healthcare, the more the natural realm, the more science, quote unquote, based realm. There's all these schools of thought in all of these realms. How many times in the past three years were we told to trust the experts? Now, pastors can be considered experts in theology. Chad, what were all your adjectives? Intelligent, smart? No one missed any. Uh, no. <laughs> now I know you're lying. <laughs> or maybe you were talking about Josh or Eric. Maybe that's what it was. Um, but as your pastor, I'm telling you, when trying to understand anything, but especially in spirituality, don't trust the experts. Don't put your full faith and trust in any theological expert. We've talked about how even theologians that I respect greatly disagree on some points. Don't trust me. You say, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to trust my pastor? Don't put your full faith and trust in me. You are called to think. You are called to study. Hear what I say. Let it provoke your thoughts. I pray and I, by the grace of God, try to be diligent in, in preaching and teaching the word faithfully. But take what I tell you. Study for yourself. When it comes to an expert in whatever field it is, I think we've learned this soundly over the past three years in the field of health. Listen to what the so-called experts say, but test them. Think about what they are telling you and trust God. The modern church is often more concerned about whether something will be divisive or offensive than whether it is biblically true. Too many people go to church not to think or reason about the truths of Scripture, to invite God to sanctify them through those truths. But no, they come just to get their weekly spiritual high. To feel that God is still with them. To feel better about they checked off the church box. Such people are spiritually unstable. Because they base their lives on feeling rather than thinking. God created feelings. God created emotions. They are beautiful. But they are not to be trusted in decision making. A gentleman by the name of Bill Hall writes... What scares me is the anti-intellectual, anti-critical thinking philosophy that has spilled over into the church. This philosophy tends to romanticize the faith, making the local church into an experience center. Their concept of church is that they are spiritual consumers and that the church's job 
is to meet their felt needs. I pray that that is not you this morning. I pray that you are not coming here expecting, hoping that the worship, that the teaching is going to save you for the week or give you enough power to get through the week. That's not what we're here to do. That's not what we're called to do. The truth of the matter is, we are often in the world today discouraged from thinking for ourselves. When people think for themselves, it complicates the lives of those with agendas. People with agendas don't want us to think for ourselves. They know if we do, we will shoot holes in their agenda. They know that their argument is incomplete. Now, there are those out there who are educated, and their motives are not impure. Their motives are not malicious. They're just ignorant. That's a big part of the reason why we have to think for ourselves, to critically think. There are those with malicious intent, with agendas to destroy and control. Again, our answer to that is to critically think, to understand the truth, to be able to expose their lies. We may not ultimately be able to hold them to task, but God will. The term critical thinking is important to understand. It's a process of thinking through a subject, a topic, a point, a truth on our own. Not just accepting someone else's interpretation. God commands people to think. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. He says to the nation of Israel, Come now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Reason. Let us reason. Let us think together. God gave us his revelation in a book that we call the Bible. And he expects his children to use their minds to understand its truths. He expects us to use our minds to understand scripture as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You can't test something if you don't have an understanding of it. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus answering the question as to which was the greatest. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Just like we exercise our physical bodies to build strength and endurance, we are called to dis discipline our spiritually sensitive minds to exercise them by thinking about right things. This morning, as we look at these two verses, we will look at what Paul tells us to think about and how we should act. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for this powerful message, for this challenge to exercise our minds, 
to focus on you. By your spirit, Lord, may you guide us this morning as we learn this. May you guide us this morning as we apply this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 8. Paul lists essentially eight different virtues. First, we are to think on whatever is true. Contrary to what the world says, there is only one truth, one standard that will endure for eternity. That is non-negotiable. The Word of God is that truth. The Bible is the divine, divine inspired Word of God. John chapter 17, verse 17 in Jesus' prayer. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Psalms 19, verse 9. The psalmist says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Bible is true. We stand on that truth, that reality, that fact. We establish that this morning. We establish that every day as we read it, as we study it, as we live by it. The Bible is true. Because the God of truth inspired it. I believe that in this context, thinking of whatever is true is reading, analyzing, and meditating on the Word of God. And understanding that it is the standard that should guide our lives. And not public opinion. You've heard it said that our nation, the United States, is a democracy. That is not a true statement. Our nation was founded as a republic. It was never intended to be guided by public opinion. What people felt like they wanted. The purpose of the government was established to determine what was true and right according to a single standard and to enforce that. My, how we have strayed. That's also how we are called to individually live our lives, to determine what is right and live by it. The remaining virtuous categories of God are all based on the truth of God's word. All of them are ways to view the truths of scripture. Next, we are to think on whatever is honorable, whatever is noble, dignified, and worthy of respect. The root Greek word here comes from a word meaning to revere or to worship. In its other New Testament uses, it describes the dignified lifestyle required of deacons, deaconesses, and older men, just in some of the contexts. One of the antonyms to this is immoral. The Bible speaks directly of sexual immorality, drunkenness, debauchery, things to satisfy the flesh. The world glorifies these immoral things in movies, books, and music. You don't have to go very far and, and turn on your TV. You don't have to switch channels very much to find a movie that is just wretched. You don't have to try very hard to find a book that is just 
full of wickedness. I know a number of years ago, one of the popular books was Fifty Shades of Grey. I never read it, praise God. But that was a wicked book. Celebrating debauchery. Are we putting those things in our minds or are we setting them aside? It takes effort to avoid dishonorable, immoral thoughts. Satan is constantly trying to pepper us with images, with sounds, with circumstances that distract us and try to get us to take our minds down wicked trails. He tries to tell us that they're harmless, they're just enjoyable, they're just fun, they're wicked. And they're not things that we should be thinking on. Next, we are to think on whatever is just. Other translations say right. This is God's law. We are not under the law in the fact that it does not condemn us. God's sacrifice of his son took that condemnation. But it does describe what is in perfect harmony with God's eternal, unchanging standards. Again, as revealed in Scripture, Romans chapter 2, verse 15, speaking of unbelievers, Paul says they show that the, work of the, the word of the law, the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. When it comes to morality, we are to think on matters that are consistent with the law of God. The law of God reveals the nature of God. We are called to meditate, to put into our minds things that are consistent with the things of God. That are in harmony with the very character of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Next, we are to think on whatever is pure. This describes in Scripture what God defines as holy, morally clean, and undefiled. This can be difficult to maintain once again. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself as he, Jesus, is pure. Jesus is the standard of purity. There are no accepted levels of impurity. We've just heard in the train crash in Ohio about the accepted levels of those toxins. Jesus is pure. There are no accepted levels of sin. He is without sin. That is our standard. That is the purity that we are to meditate on. The reality of the purity of our Savior. The, the means by which the only way, the only person who could be our Savior, because he was that pure, completely pure. Next, as we seek God, we are to think on whatever is lovely. This word appears only in this verse in the New Testament. 
This is, what would you say, a little more of a fun one? Believers must focus their thoughts on what the Bible says is pleasing, attractive, and even friendly before God. Not on evil or brokenness. This does not mean that we don't look at evil. We have to, again, critical thinking. We have to process what evil is. What is holy becomes more obvious and more desirable when we realize what is wicked and ugly. We need to be able to identify evil and what it is. But we do not invite it deep into our minds. We do not celebrate it. We do not rejoice in it. We don't glorify it. We have so many lovely things to think about. In the Bible, the beautiful story from Genesis through Revelation, the miracles, the story of redemption and salvation, the servants, the faithful servants of God. There's so many lovely things in the Bible to study and to understand and see hope in. In creation itself, we have flowers, we have trees, we have landscapes beautiful, magnificent creations of God. We have the night sky, the stars, the solar systems, the galaxies, all of the beauty twinkling there in the night sky. Unfathomable how that could have been created, but was created by the God who created us. So lovely to look at, so lovely to meditate on. In artistic expressions, through writing, music, painting, sculptures, Beautiful ways that humans who are, who are created by God express themselves, express their perspectives. So beautiful, so lovely. We have the ability to see loveliness in human beings, in their physical appearance, the beauty of relationships. What lovely things we have to think about, to meditate on, that point us back to the God who created us. We are also next to create on what to think on whatever is commendable, admirable, of good report. This one can be a little unsettling. Have you ever been sitting and thinking about something and think, oh my, what if somebody would have heard me think that? Would have it been commendable? Would have it been admirable? If heard by someone else, our thoughts are not all going to be perfect. But if someone was reading a transcript of your thoughts, and again, modern technology, I think it's called Neuralink, that Elon Musk's company is working on, where they're, gonna, they're, they're, they're anticipating being able to read our thoughts. I don't like that idea either. But if someone was reading a transcript of your mind, how would they see you processing your thought? You're going, Satan is going to show you an image. He's going to remind you of something that is going to bring some wicked thoughts into your mind. How do you process those thoughts? Do you dwell on them? Do you hold on to them? Or do you cast them out? Do you confess them to God? Do you deal with them? Do you repent of them? 
Those are opportunities to think on these, on God, on the things of God in the midst of these different areas of virtue. Paul next summarizes these six areas that we've talked about in, in, in two basic words. He says, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's kind of a recap, kind of a summary of the first six to think about. Remember, invite the excellent and praiseworthy things into your heart to change you. Not to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Not to make you feel good about yourself. But to change you. To make you more and more in the image of Christ. Stand against the ugly and depraved things. Call them what they are. Make no excuses. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set their mind on the flesh is death. But to set their mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Do not be ashamed of your struggles. Shame is from the enemy. Do not be ashamed of your struggles. Be convicted by them. Bring them to the light. Confess them. Repent of them. Resist them from shaping you. The key to godly living is godly thinking. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Solomon says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Verse 9. What you have learned in Philippians 4. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Act on what is of God. Restrain from doing what is not of God. And by restraining again, I mean confess, repent, confess, repent. Don't make excuses. Don't hide it. Ask God by His Spirit to purge you of it. So when I say restrain, again, I do not mean bear down and just stop doing it. We have tools. Confess, repent, ask God. You are not going to do it perfectly. Far from perfectly. Again, as you think on these things, if you are in a state of panic this morning, if you feel hopeless and lost, if your mind is just a cesspool of wicked thoughts, and you have no, but you have no inner desire to be like Christ, you just don't like where you are, but you don't have that desire to be like Christ, remember from the foundation from which you have to start. Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I will do this. God will do this. And he says, be careful to obey my rules. This 
starts, this think about these things in the way of God starts with a changed heart. It starts by believing the gospel. If everything I've said to you this morning seems impossible, it seems like I, I can't stop thinking about these things. I can't think about what's good and lovely and just and right and commendable. Do you have a relationship with God? That relationship is made available to you because God sent his perfect, without impurities, perfectly pure son out of heaven to be born as a baby, to walk in obscurity for 30 years, to face persecution, to face pain and agony and ultimately death, to be the perfect sacrifice, to be resurrected in victory over sin and death. Why? So we could have a new heart. And when we have that new heart, what are we doing with it? What are we thinking about? Are we thinking about Fifty Shades of Grey? Are we thinking about that party we were at last night? <coughs> are we thinking about that pornography we looked at last week? Or are we thinking about the things of God? Asking God to take all these other wretched things out of our mind. God paid an immense price to make it possible for us to think about Him. What are we doing with that reality? If you have not received that gift of that immense prize, this too is a matter of reason. To come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is a matter of reason, of thought. Faith is, there's an element, a huge element of faith that is supernatural and miraculous. But if that were the end of it, then we would only have to respond to it. This would be through emotion or pragmatism, practicality. Thinking, well, there's nothing else to do once this miraculous gift has been given to us, but walk in it. That's pragmatism, that's practicality. If faith were just supernatural, that would be, it would be a response. But faith in God is also reasonable. That's why we have a whole school of thought of apologetics. The whole idea of apologetics is to help people reasonably understand that there is a God in hopes of them turning to that God through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the gift of His Son and ultimately the gift of the Holy Spirit. This rational thought involves an element of acceptance, of understanding. And out of it, out of that saving knowledge, that receiving the gift of salvation, comes a life lived for God. Do you have that understanding this morning? Have you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by faith? Are you daily dwelling on the nature of God? Are you thinking about the nature of God? Are you acting on that basis? I exhort you this morning that if you are not, 
God commands you to dwell on the things of him. And the things God commands you to do, he empowers you to do. He gives you the resources you need to do it. Remember, garbage in, garbage out. If you have that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but you're embracing what the world has to offer, you're feeding your flesh the pleasures, the acceptance, the appreciation, respect, whatever it is that you're letting the world feed you, but you're setting the things of God aside, and you're not dwelling on his truth, you're not dwelling on who God is, you're not dwelling on his purity, you're not dwelling on his righteousness, you're not allowing those truths to change you, exhort you to do whatever you have to do to start down that path. To invite God to change you, to surrender your life to the power of the gospel, not only to save you, but to change you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We praise you for the gift of the gospel. We praise you for the gift of your son, who is the gospel, Father. We praise you, God, for the new heart that you give to those who put their full faith and trust in you, Father. We praise you, God, that by your spirit, you give us the power to change as we think about the things of you, as we mentally ingest the things of you, Father. God, may we today confess, may we, may we today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, repent of where we are not thinking about you, of where we are thinking about the things of the world and allowing the things of the world to shape who we are. God, may we, by your Spirit, draw on the power of thinking about the things of you and inviting the things of you to change us, to make us more and more in the image of your Son. God, may we realize where we are motivated by the flesh, where we are motivated by pleasures of the world, motivated by maybe coming to church and feeling a little bit relieved and thinking that, oh, we did our, our Christian thing for this week. May we be convicted of where we are not making you the center of our lives, Father. May we come to church. May we go to our daily Bible reading. May we go to our time of prayer and truly seeking to be changed by you, God. Not just to be relieved of a little guilt, but to be changed by you, Father. May that be our reality by the power of your Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.